0: Now we have the privilege of turning our attention to the Word of God. If you've got your Bible with you, which I sure hope you do, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is a blessed section of Scripture that we have been enjoying for uh, three occasions, and today will be the fourth in which we just continue to see unfolded in this chapter Some of the rich, abiding, unchanging, glorious truths of our great God. And so let me read for you a section of it. And then I will pray and we will begin to dig into God's word together. Listen as I read God's word in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I'm going to begin in verse 15. But Jeshurun grew fat and and kicked You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him. You scoffed at the rock of your salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had recently come, whom your fathers had never even dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, you forgot the God who gave birth to you the Lord saw it and spurned them Because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. He said I will hide my face from them I will see what their end will be for. They are a perverse generation Children in whom there is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God They have provoked me to anger with idols So I will make them jealous with those who are no people I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of mountains. Let's pray. Lord God, as we turn our attention now in this time to open up and consider your word we are thankful for the privilege of being able to give our attention to your word that you have given it to us that we can read it prayerfully consider it we recognize god in your mercies and kindness every passage of scripture has been given for our instruction for our correction Lord, we just pray that the things that you would have impressed upon our hearts and minds today, that they would truly come across with poignancy and power. I ask, O oh God, that you would grant for me to speak your word clearly. O oh God, enable everyone that you've assembled here this morning to hear your word and praise your powerful and glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, again, I just want to remind us of a few thoughts as we take this up. Not long back, we had considered a section out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New Testament. And it had said these words in two of those verses. So listen as I read them to you. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 6. Now, these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did also chapter 10 verse 11 it says this now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come so in in the simplicity of that is the reminder that god's word all that is given is not just a blank account of history it's not just so we can look back and say yep that happened it's more than yep that happened when we see what happened it is to serve as an example for us it is to serve as a warning to us it is to serve as a lesson a teacher an instructor to us that we would take hold of and understand God's Word more clearly the first thought I want us to consider this morning out of Deuteronomy chapter 32 in the few thoughts that we will consider really kind of concluding and I and really we're gonna conclude it this morning because maybe you've noticed this if you've ever sung songs at times when you sing a song you sing a verse and then a chorus and next time then you'll sing another verse And then the chorus again and most often the chorus you're singing Second time is the same as the chorus you sang the first time and so on now This is a song of Moses and though it is not repetitive in that sense The themes themselves are repetitive Okay, so it's not the same words being repeated again, but the same keep being repeated again and again and I'm going to try to drive those all home clearly today from a smattering of sections throughout this then my confidence is if you consider the last few sermons and today's and then sit back once again and read Deuteronomy chapter 34 that section called the Song of Moses you will your mind will put pieces together so much more clearly first thing I want us to see in here and as we come came to this section you began to see that God is pronouncing upon the children of Israel devastation. It says there in verse 23, which is the next verse from where I had stopped reading, I will heap disaster upon them. I will spend my arrows. I mean, these are strong language. And, And sometimes I think that when these things begin to unfold, we need a little bit of help. We need to understand what's going on. Des- devastation is declared. Disaster is pronounced. But note this disaster, devastation is deserved. I started reading where I started in verse 15 intentionally. Because it begins to unfold those things. God is the one who had made all the nations, it had said in the early part of it, divided all the inheritance, allotted all that they received, and among all of the nations, as history unfolded, God uniquely selected for a peculiar and special relationship with Him the nation of Israel. They were chosen for that privilege that was not given to any of the other nations. Now, in our human logic, the thought would be, what a glorious privilege, isn't it? All the nations left to go their own ways, left to follow the sinful inclinations of their own hearts, but the children of Israel uniquely would have regular communication from God. Clear manifestations and demonstrations of His presence, of His power. In miraculous, unmistakable ways. They had that great privilege. And as God speaks concerning this nation. Now sometimes it's confusing for us. And I know that this happens to my dear brothers and sisters sometimes when we're reading through the scripture. Because God is pleased at times to use lots of different terms to refer to the children of Israel. Sometimes he says the children of Israel. When he says that, we usually know exactly what it's talking about. Other times, it will substitute Jacob for Israel. Not as a reference to merely the man, but to all of the people. Remember, it was Jacob whose name was changed to Israel, and his descendants then called Israel. But the scriptures will oftentimes use other terms. Ephraim. Other terms. Jeshurun. And, 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 and sometimes our minds don't put the pieces together when we're doing our reading and I want us to see this. In this passage, God is talking about how he has amazingly provided for them. This is Deuteronomy 32. This is coming to the end of their, their wilderness journey. Their keen awareness of God's miraculous provision of food, bread from heaven every morning that's there, of water. Water that would flow out of a rock in abundance for all of them as well as for all of their livestock. That God would provide for them meat to eat. Not only meat to eat sufficient that they would be satisfied, but the scripture says because of their complaints and their grumbling, so much that they would eat and eat and eat until the meat was pouring out their nostrils now that's that's a phrase from the scriptures I wouldn't have come up with that because it's a gruesome image but that and then a plague came upon them so they understood how God could provide for them further they had engaged in difficult battles they had been attacked rightfully so because of their sinful behavior by serpents and God had provided a miraculous means For them to be delivered from the death that was sure from the venom of the serpent. All they would have to do is what? Look upon the serpent that is raised. The bronze serpent that is raised. And they would be cured. They would come across kings. Powerful kings. Notorious kings. Who would say, not only are we not going to allow you to pass through our land... But thanks for asking, so now we know exactly where you are, and we're coming to get you. Just so you know, I paraphrased that part. All right. But that's, that's what happened. And they come out with their massive army, and God, through the children of Israel, defeats them. Og and Bashan, these kings which... End up getting referred to throughout the rest of the Old Testament at times in the New Testament. These are devastating victories. So not only God's abundant provision, God's remarkable protection, all of that is made so clear to them. That you would think, surely, why would anyone turn away from this God? Because he is able to do everything that they would need. Why would they ever despise him why would they ever uh, Grumble against him, you know uh, Sometimes again, we live so far from this in terms of time and Most of us have not Experienced the experiences that they did in the wilderness as they wandered around in the wilderness With no clear destination uh, in their minds, not knowing exactly where they were going, how it was going to work out, not knowing where their meals and where their water was coming from. They were very much dependent upon God. But what they should have learned very easily is that God can provide anywhere at any time. I mean, uh, to, to make it s- extremely simple to, to, for us to picture this, uh, in, in my mind, I, I imagine a situation where you're in a home, and in that home, you're sitting at the dining table, and you're hungry and you're thirsty, and the host is there, and the host comes out and says, Are you hungry and are you thirsty? What would be a good answer? Did you invite me here so that I would die? Is that what you're doing? I'm starving to death. How come there's no food here? How come there's no water here? Is that how most people respond? Hopefully not. If so, let me know. I'm not inviting you over. No. It it just would seem like unreasonable because they've invited you over you know that in moments they're gonna bring out the food and they're gonna put it on the table and they're gonna put it there in abundance so they bring out the food and they put it on the table and 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 they stand there a moment and you look at your glass it's still empty there's food here but there's nothing in my glass oh that I had only died before I even got to this house because there's no water here. I mean, d- does that seem extreme? Does it seem foolish? I mean, that's the image that, that, that really the children of Israel are displaying. Because the, the host can say, hold on, it's going to be okay. i got water in abundance, I, I can give you gallons of it. I can bathe you in it if you want. You're the, you, you, it's going to be okay. In fact, anything that you might need, you don't have to st- keep doing this weird, strange, screaming and crying and, and, and grumbling. Just ask. You need a little salt? I got salt. You need a little pepper? Now, generally speaking, in our earthly situation, you might come to a host's house and say, do you have a little Tabasco? No, we don't uh, we don't like spicy food here and you would be denied because that person doesn't have or doesn't have access to it Now God may not always give what we want, but there is nothing. He does not have access to His storehouses are absolutely filled in abundance And and so when you when you begin to look at this, it's that kind of strange extreme reaction where I'm like little children Just say, please, because God has, in this old covenant promised to them, promised to give them in abundance. If they love him and obey his law, then he is going to provide for them. He's going to meet their needs. He's going to protect them. Everything will be glorious in their experience. But we also do remember the second part of that, don't we? The second part of that old covenant was, but if you disobey... And if you turn away from the law that I've commanded you this day, what does he then say? I will curse you. I will punish you. I will devastate you. And these problems will all come upon you. So it's not only, I mean, the strange thing is it's not only here's God. He has called you to the special relationship and in the special relationship He has covenanted himself to provide you Abundantly with all you would ever need In a way that you can enjoy and even indulge or You can disobey and you lose everything and Even what you have will be taken away Is that a hard decision to make? Let me see, do I want to lose everything or do I want to get everything? What choice are most people making? Even the seemingly sensible, selfish desires of our heart that ought to lead to obedience still don't. Because even as as this passage says in in referring to them in Deuteronomy 32, it reminds us in verse 6, Do you thus repay the Lord? He has done all this for you. He's given all of this to you. And he calls them what? You foolish and senseless people. Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Foolish and senseless people and so they would disobey and what does it say concerning them? They would Look with me further down once again verse 15. They would forsake God Why would you forsake the one who is providing you with everything you need? Just, just, it's important for us to begin to know this. These things happened and were written down for us on whom the end of the ages have fallen. They're written down as examples that we might understand this. Apart from the grace of God in Christ Jesus, we would all continue to be senseless, foolish The wisdom of following God, the wisdom of faith in Christ that would manifest itself as declared in scriptures as the only hope of salvation. The scriptures set forth, there is no salvation in any other name. There is one life, it is appointed for man once to die and after that the judgment. There is a resurrection to life and a resurrection to punishment, eternal. Logically you would think you could ask the question. What do you want? Heaven and glory and eternity? Or eternal pain, torment and suffering? It's a simple logical choice, isn't it? Anyone who would say, sign me up for suffering, would immediately seem to us to be senseless, foolish. Why would you do that? Here's why they do that, because they think Jesus isn't the only way. They think the gospel is not true. Their hearts and their minds deceive them because of the darkness that is in them due to the fall in Adam. It is so dark that they, not only do they forsake God, who has proven himself beyond a shadow of a doubt. Again, to remind you of this, they were seeing daily visible manifestations of God in the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire. They had seen and experienced the miraculous power of God parting the sea and bringing them through on dry ground. They stood at the foot of Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and heard the voice of God declare the Ten Commandments. They heard the voice, they saw manifestations, they experienced his power. Is there anyone who could say I'm not sure if he exists? I, I, I don't know if God made I think evolution might be true. Was any were any Israelites gonna say that? Not at all. God had shown himself, proven himself to be true, and sometimes we think, if only God would prove himself to be true, Then people would follow him. When Lazarus and the rich man both died, that rich ruler who had feasted sumptuously every day, he went down and he lifted his eyes when he's down in Hades. And behold, afar off he saw Abraham and Lazarus at his side. And as he calls out to them, desperate that he would find uh, some relief from his suffering, he said, no, the hope of any relief is done for you. Indeed, only for him, worse was yet to come. And he said, well then, at least let Lazarus go back from the dead and tell my brothers. Because maybe then. And what was Abraham's answer? To that rich man, even if they will not listen to Moses, which in effect is, we can broaden it, Moses was that when a simple reference would encapsulate the law, would be a short term reference to the Old Testament for the Jew. Right Uh, the law came through Moses grace and truth through the Lord Jesus Christ The simple phrase to Moses can be a simple way of referring to the Old Testament if they won't listen to the scripture Because most of the prophets what did they come and repeat to the people? the law that had been given through Moses and Call them to turn back to that and turn to that God and if they won't listen to Moses They will not listen Even if someone rises from the dead. Lazarus, that particular Lazarus, did not rise from the dead. There would be another Lazarus that would rise from the dead. As Jesus said what? Lazarus come forth and gave life to a dead man. And Jesus himself would rise from the grave. Really history declares it in such clear ways It is known and noted and yet we declare it to men and they'll say well some people believe that some people don't Even if you establish it as true even among people who say they believe it Do all live their life? with the clear sense this Jesus alone is salvation this Jesus alone is my lord and my master this jesus is my life it's strange because there's a lot of people can say yeah i believe this jesus rose from the dead yeah i believe he did all these things i believe he's coming again but he's not my life <laughs> you know he's not my, i mean he, he's important and i'm never going to forget about him but he's going to be a part of what i do Not the heart of what I do. Oh, what was, when Jesus was questioned as to what is the greatest commandment. Do you remember what Jesus said? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's in Mark chapter 12 verse 30. Now, all your heart, soul, Mind and strength even we're told in in other portions like Luke 14 and others uh, that we are to love him more than our fathers and mothers More than our sons and daughters Yes, even more than our own Lives if you do not love him more than any every and all else you are not worthy to be his disciple So we got a bunch of people running around saying I'm a disciple of Jesus. More modern way of saying that, I'm a Christian. While what? Denying the Lord himself. No different than the children of Israel. Oh, the devastations that they receive is deserved. And now there are things in this passage that I do want to point out to you. And and this is one of the reasons why God has given us the totality of his word. It reveals things that we would tend to gloss over. It's this passage, because of the sinful condition and the sinful responses of men, shows certain things that we don't like. I mean, again, the children of Israel, they not only forsake, they scoff, they go after false gods, they turn in all different directions, but the scriptures then say things such as this. Verse, 15, verse 19. The Lord saw it and spurned them. Now, older translations, they they say, abhorred him. Now, abhorred is a a, a synonym in our English language for hated or despised. To be spurned is not a good thing. The Lord spurned them, it says. Verse 21 says, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. Now again, what's interesting is, going back to some of the older translations, it doesn't say they provoked me to anger with their idols. It says they provoked me to anger with their vanities. Because the word for idols, some of the uh, even more newer translations give you a double word definition there provoke me to anger with their worthless idols this is the word for that which is mere breath mere mist that which is totally void empty nothingness and and, and we get the, that, that same sense uh, a ma- a rich man says you know what you need to i need to break down and these ho- storehouses and build bigger ones because I have so much And what does the scripture say to that man? you fool This night your life is required of you 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 have amassed all of these things you have gained all of the these things in the world But what does it matter? It doesn't last It doesn't endure. You can't take it with you. When your days are done, it is done. And none what does it matter, the scriptures say, if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And this passage tells us that it's deserved and tells us things about God uh, as being jealous. Spurning them. Verse 16 says they stirred him to jealousy. With strange gods and with abominations, they provoked him to anger. I mean, these are generally the terms we don't hear referred to. When when different groups of people, I'm sure you've all been a part at times or aware of, missions groups or evangelistic groups that will go out for here and there on occasion and, and share something. How many times do you hear things like this? Our God is a jealous God. When we live in sinful rebellion, his anger is kindled. And someday we will all stand before God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is not to be taken lightly. In verse 35 of chapter 32, it says this, a passage that we'll, we'll remember ourselves From Romans and other passages. Vengeance is mine. Says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. And recompense. Now we don't like that. Because it is simply saying this. Be aware of this. Whatever you're doing. You got to pay for it. Someday. We all pay. That's it. And the price, we can't afford. Our only hope is when we stand before God on that last day, when we have to pay, and, and he looks on us in Christ and says, no, you're paid. You're paid in full. Jesus has paid it all. It's done. You owe nothing welcome but to the rest what is it I mean one of the challenges concerning this is now there are there are about eight states in India and and more are trying to do this who, who, are, who that are passing what's called anti-conversion laws anti-conversion laws are um, if anyone wants to convert from their religion that they were born into to Christianity they have to file an application at the police station sounds like a good plan right and on the application there there are they want the details as to why are you changing who is the one who has encouraged you to change what are the things that they've said to you because not only are there anti-conversion laws now if uh, someone Files all those things they can possibly get permission but part of the point is people can be arrested for what's called forced conversions this is what they define as a forced conversion if you have told them if they if you have given them promises and incentives for converting or threats and warnings if they don't convert That is a coerced or forced conversion. So if you tell them, if you remain apart from Christ, there is nothing that awaits you but the prospect of fiery judgment. You have set out a warning and a threat. That's a forced conversion. If you have told them, but for all who by grace, through faith, Come to Jesus Christ. All who by His grace embrace Him in the totality of who He is. There is joy at His right hand forevermore. We'll be like Him for we will see Him as He is. We will dwell with Him forever. Heaven. Wait, you just set promises and incentives. So any presentation of the gospel is, any biblical presentation of the gospel is now effectively illegal in those states. But I would say this, don't we live in an age in a world in which a lot of people seem to also partly live as if certain truths of the gospel are illegal in our states? (laughs) Don't tell them that they have to repent. Don't tell them they have to turn from their sins and follow. Don't do that. Okay, so when Jesus went around saying, repent, he was wrong. Are we not to do that when he uh, when the apostles under the instruction and inspiration of the Spirit, Holy Spirit say God now commands all men everywhere to repent? We shouldn't do that. Well, no, because if you do that it will make people feel like maybe they're bad. Maybe they're sinners. Maybe, you're going to make them feel judged. We don't want them to feel judged. We want them to feel loved. And so if we're going to win them. Wait a second. Uh, the, we don't win them by distorting the gospel, by weakening it or watering it down. And why would we? Because the only means that one might be one, O-N-E, might be W-O-N-E. The only way that would happen is what, how? Through the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So if the power is delivered by the Spirit in the proclamation of the gospel what's gonna happen if the gospel is not proclaimed Romans 10 warns about that how will they repent how will they call upon the name of the Lord if they never hear and how will, they not, how will they hear if someone is not sent? Someone has to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the name of Christ, so that men will be brought by the power of the Spirit from darkness to light, from death to life, that they, on their knees, fall in repentance of their sin and cry out to God, have mercy on me for Christ's sake. That's what needs to be done. But we soften it and we weaken it, we think we don't want to make people uncomfortable. Is there a way to not make people uncomfortable? The reality, part of the, the glorious transforming work of the Spirit is, is that, that would be sent is the Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness and justice. The conviction of sin is not fun. It brings with it a heaviness, a fear, a godly grief. That's why Jesus effectively says, Come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden. The convicting work of the Spirit of God makes someone weak and heavy laden. The worldly man will often say, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. It's all going to work out in the end. God is love. But under the conviction of the Spirit a a sinner comes to recognize I'm in peril I'm in danger. I need a deliverer. I need a Savior You know how hard it is to try to convince people they need a Savior when they don't think they need to be saved from anything. The scriptures remind us of that. Now, you may declare it to them and they may say, I'm going to be fine. I don't need that. I don't believe that. And don't be surprised because they, like we at one time were, like the children of Israel displayed here, senseless and foolish. Now, I want you to see here also the divine decrees that are spoken of here. Verse 26. God says... I would have said, okay. The children of Israel have been uh, abandoned him, brought shame on his name, turned to false gods. It even says here, worship demons. They're into all kinds of wickedness. And God says, He's helping us to understand his heart and his mind. He says, I would have said. Now, this is what I would refer to as divine decrees. When God says, I would have said, that's effectively like God saying, I would have done. Because God said, let there be light. And I got a question for you. What happened when he said that? There was light. Right? God said, let the earth bring forth, yield forth its fruit. And what happened? Yeah, everything that God speaks brings into existence and so when God said I would have said it's effectively like saying I would have done understanding that everything that is unfolding in history every experience of every nation every experience of every individual unfolds according to the divine decrees God is sovereign over all and he says I would have said I will cut them to pieces And Wipe them from human memory Now who's saying this? God Now I know a lot of people's concept of God would be uncomfortable with this and it doesn't make me supremely comfortable But what is God saying there? I would have said I would have cut them to pieces. How many of our image of God? would envision him cutting people to pieces Read the New Testament read some of those parables where the master comes back after a time and he finds those Servants who are who are wicked who were selfish who are foolish and he says take them cut them to pieces Take them throw them out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth You know we we don't in the holiness of God which includes his anger his jealousy his wrath and his judgment because it is a fearful thought and rightly so we have forsaken that truth in favor of a being that is wholly benevolent towards all that he has made not recognizing god says he will repay the sinner Every single sinner he will repay I would have said I will cut them to pieces wipe them from human memory Had I not feared the provocation of the enemy lest their adversaries should misunderstand and say our hand is Triumphant it is not the Lord who did this Okay, let me explain that to you now for a moment. You're gonna be a little cautious. Wait a second God said he would have feared That's an English word. Um, Were I the translator here, but I'm not, (laughs) I would have translated the word dreaded which is a valid translation of the word and used in other places because God doesn't fear in the same sense that man fears but to communicate divine ideas it often will communicate in the closest idea that men can experience and know I would have feared and what this passage does is why is God saying he's not going to just wipe out destroy the children of Israel gone done because the whole world knows those are the ones he marked out as his people He has made it clear. He delivered them. He showed himself mighty. And if he now destroys them, he knows that the enemy will not note God has done this. A denial of God's power, a denial of God's decrees, a denial of God's sovereignty and the foolish expectation of the enemies of Israel that somehow they carried out their supposed free will. We did it. We did what we wanted. We overcame. This had nothing to do with God. No, God does not want them to think that for a moment. So he says, I'm not going to wipe them out entirely. We see here not only is God jealous for the love and obedience of His people, but moreover, God is jealous for the glory of His great name. Amen. That's why I'm not giving them over. So, I want us, want us to note this. It, it, he's not saying I'm not. Uh, the reason why I'm not going to cut them up and and wipe them away is because, you know, I I, I kind of love them. You know, they got. They got a special place in my heart. He's not saying that. We would like it. That appeals to our sensitivities. What he's saying is, no, I would have wiped him out. Sin deserves utter destruction. Sin deserves disaster. But God does not bring the disaster on them. And the reason why he does not bring on them the full disaster they deserve is because of his commitment to his glorious name. Isn't that great? We ought to understand this. The reason God has set his love upon us and delivered us and made us his royal priesthood, his holy nation, delivered us from darkness unto light, made us those who will proclaim his excellencies is why? Why? For the glory of his great name. The reason why we look at that passage in 2 Peter chapter 2. He he delivered us from darkness to light. He made us a royal priesthood. Why did he do that? He He was lonely. No he wasn't lonely. Father, Son and Holy Spirit is complete in himself. No lack, no need. He did it for his own glory. And even the, the salvation that we receive... That we might proclaim His excellencies. Now, thankfully, that's not all. That we might proclaim His excellencies forever. So, it, it, not only in these days, but it, it's included our eternal salvation. But it, it, you can see the uh, principle within that. And, and even then, that we, by His grace, will share in His glory so that we are in our hearts and minds are enlarged more and more to affect our worship divine jealousy this is not unique here i could draw your attention to and will just briefly by word exodus chapter 32 and numbers chapter 14 in both of those passages children of israel had done something very bad the first one we remember well they had formed an idol when he was up the mountain and god said to moses that's it i'm done with them. i'm gonna wipe them all out i'm gonna make a new nation from you and your descendants and how did moses intercede each time god the nations will say god egypt will say you brought them out but you couldn't keep them alive they will say to you they'll misunderstand your power they'll misunderstand your ability They'll misunderstand your purposes. They won't give you the glory that's due to you. They will somehow doubt your greatness, doubt your being, so don't. And all of that, and and then the passages say this, the Lord relented. Did the Lord relent because Moses told him something he didn't know before? For sure not. All of that event and all of that conversation was so that we would look upon that and learn. You know what was more important to God in that situation? It wasn't all of the people running around in the camp. And it wasn't that some of them were really, really sweet. It wasn't any of that. It was all about the glory of his name. And in the glory of his name, he sets compassion upon us. And the whole point of uh, the compassion that is ours, the pity that is ours, is that it's it's undeserved. We don't owe it. You know, it's not, again, it's not like, um, it's not like we're, we're just uh, neutral and going through. I mean, again, picture it like this, as an unpleasant picture, not a perfect one. Every analogy is imperfect, but uh, you know, God is the one who provides us with everything that we have and everything that we get and everything that we experience. Imagine some guy comes and delivers a pizza to you. What normally happens when someone delivers a pizza to you? Of course, the world has changed now. But once upon a time, you would pay the man. All right? Now you've probably prepaid as you ordered it on, on, on the phone or on the app or whatever. But generally, the guy who's delivering it, reasonably expect something in return and and the scriptures even throughout this of the world of mankind of Israel especially does not everyone owe to God thanks and praise and glory because he is the one who has given everyone everything they have to enjoy indeed everyone lives and moves and has their being through him and yet what do men do pizza guy hands you the pizza, take the pizza, kick him in the shins, slam the door, walk inside and eat that pizza. Yeah. Now, what would you think? Now, do you expect then the pizza man's outside and says, Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Can I bring you another one in five minutes? Is that what the pizza guy's going to say? No. He's going to be saying... You come to the door right now. I got to talk to you. I want to give you your change, man Get out here because he wants a little kickback He wants a little payback and it makes sense or he might say I'm never delivering to that house again They treat me like that they take advantage and so we can understand those kinds of things and, And and we think that that's wrong. That's cheap. That's rude that's offensive. Brothers and sisters, when we sin and disobey and rebel against God, it is far worse. As, as, as unreasonable and offensive as a guy kicking someone who is delivering to him something he wants, our every sin is far more vile. And in your mind, maybe you could escalate it not kicking but machete or whatever what we do is so brutally offensive all of our sin it is a despising it is a forsaking and a denying of God that we deserve judgment oh time has rushed upon us we see this um the difficulty they have of them it says this in verse 32 also we see depravity's deception uh, they, the, the world would say that our hand did it, but we know that God is the one who does all things. Lamentations 3.37 says, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and bad come? Everything God is in control of. Man's condition, verse 28. For they are a nation void of Counsel. And there is no understanding in them. This is his declaration of the children of Israel. They're the chosen ones who have received the law. And they are void of counsel. They have no understanding in them. Verse 29 says. If they were wise they would understand this. And they would discern their latter end. Oh. Romans one twenty-two says of mankind. Initially when God made man. Adam knew God. Cain and Abel knew God. All their children knew that there was only one God. But claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they forsook God. It says that in Romans 1.22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 28. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. So God gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. So as men would not. Because of their sin would not acknowledge God would not recognize God would not honor God and glorify God. God gave them more and more in their inability to understand to the carrying out of their sinful desires And things got worse and worse till the flood And things continue in our own experience to get worse and worse as we look around in a uh, Psalm 14, verse 2, is the section that's that's quoted for us in Romans chapter 3. It says this: "The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God." All right. So God's looking down. Are there any? Are there any? And what does Romans 3 tell us? As it explains it and defines it in the context of Jews and Gentiles. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. There is none that seeks after God. There is none. No one who understands. And so we think, oh no. This is the deception of depravity. Jeremiah 4 verse 22 says, For my people are foolish. They know me not not you know yeah they might know nuclear science they might know extreme physics they might know various forms of engineering they might have all kinds of temporary earthly knowledge but that's not what defines who is wise and who is a fool they're foolish they know me not proverbs reminds us of this the fear of the Lord is the beginning (laughs) of wisdom so if you don't have that you know where you go from there down a fool's path that some people like say well they just end up on a road to nowhere sorry to say that that's not true it's not to nowhere it's to a very particular and undesirable destination nowhere would be better but they're not on the road to nowhere they're on the road to eternal punishment but we're not left at that. The na- The natural man, as it tells us in First Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They couldn't understand. Men couldn't understand. The Scriptures say in Ephesians 4.18 of mankind, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them so what is the hope if it's so dark we can't see and we're so dumb that we don't understand what do we do I mean who do we look to is there any hope and the answer is yes and i'm gonna have to close with this first john Chapter 5, verse 20, not only do we see uh, depravity's deception, but we see deliverance is determined. 1 John five twenty says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. Understand. Amen? So, no one seeks, no one understands. That would almost mean no one's saved. Hey. But we're not left that way. The Father sent the Son to save sinners like you and me. And the Spirit of God, indeed the Spirit of Christ, comes to us in the hearing of the gospel and gives us the understanding procured for us by Christ on the cross. We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true only one way to know it, that he's to, to know that he is true there's only one way to know the true God and that is those who receive understanding from the son and and not only that not only is it a knowledge but when he comes and gives us gives us this knowledge it also says this so that we know him is true and we are in him who is true in his son he is the true god and eternal life so he gives not just knowledge he gives life he gives light he gives union and so now christ is our very life so we might say for me to live is christ And to die is gain. Again, in in our chapter 32, we saw that deliverance was determined because it said this in verse 36 of Deuteronomy 32. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. That's salvation, isn't it? God doesn't look on the powerful the wise or the able because our power can't save us, our wisdom can't save us. And actually, those who think they have power and those who think they have wisdom and those who think they have righteousness, they have not God. God, it speaks so beautifully here. He will have compassion on his servants when he sees their power is gone and none are remaining. That's what the convicting work of the Spirit of God does, brings us to recognize there's nothing in me. There's no power. There's no righteousness, there's no understanding, there's no good. My only hope is the mercy and compassion of God. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, forgive me because of what Christ has done. My only hope is in you. I hope in nothing else. The understanding that Christ gives grants us an understanding of this powerless worthless powerful glorious everything four simple points that we consider that i conclude by reminding you the first was they deserved devastation because of their sinfulness the secondly, we saw the divine decrees that God is accomplishing whatever he wants and his priority is his own glory and name. We see depravity's deception that people don't even get it. They don't understand what they're doing and they make decisions that seem so unwise and foolish. But thankfully, we see that deliverance is determined. And he is determined to put that on not many wise, not many noble, not many powerful but God chose what is weak in this world to confound the wise so that no one who would boast would boast in themselves but who do we boast in the lord the lord who saves let's pray god we are so amazed at who you are and we are thankful that you, that you give us these accounts that sometimes we just tend to look at and shake our heads tisk tisk tisk, how bad they were and not learn from it how bad is the nature of fallen men how dark is the deception of our depraved hearts how in need men are of the gospel of grace that brings salvation lord it is you that by the power of your word are pleased to take those who are dead and make them alive indeed it is because of you that we are in christ jesus lord we thank you that you sent your son and in him you have given us understanding and light and life and in our union with him you've given us a clear calling to a life of service no longer dead works but a life of obedience to the living and true god A life proclaiming the excellencies of him who has saved us. Lord, may we see it, note it, remember it again. And fulfill the calling that you set forth for us in our lives. To the praise of your glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.